Well, good morning, everyone, and a very happy Sabbath to you. I am very privileged to be with you here this morning at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Norman McNulty, and I grew up in Portland, Tennessee, up at Highland Academy. <coughs> graduated from Highland, class of 1996. Graduated from Southern in 2000. So I've been here before. I think the last time I've been at this church was 14 years ago. So it's good to be back and I appreciate the invitation to be here today. Before we get into our message for this morning, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your blessings to each one of us. I thank you for how your spirit is working in this church, and I just pray that you would speak through me today. Help me to be simply an instrument through whom you can speak. And may Jesus Christ be lifted up, and may we be drawn closer to you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I trust that you came today to have an experience with Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I know that we've already been blessed so much by the service. And when Pastor Santos called me Sunday evening to ask if I could come, I was in the Orlando airport trying to fly back to Nashville. And I had just been at the conference GYC, you've probably heard about that. And last Sabbath, we had the privilege of hearing our general conference president give the Sabbath message. There were over 6,000 people there. And the theme for the conference was Before Men and Angels. And Pastor Santos asked me to share a little something that may reflect on what I gained out of that conference. So that's what we are going to do this morning. And the verse I'm going to start with is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. And here the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, says, For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Now what Paul is saying here in the immediate context is he is saying that God has saved those of us who are the apostles to the last to be set forth as martyrs because the Greek word for spectacle is theatron and that conveys the idea that the martyrs of the Christian faith would be set forth as if it's a theater. And as they are martyrs for their faith, their martyrdom is a spectacle, if you will, before the world, before angels, and before men. You do realize that when God sees his church today, or when, the, when we see the church today, it's not simply what man sees, but the universe is watching. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, we read, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that principalities and powers in heavenly places need to see the manifold wisdom of God, and that manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church. We, God's people, are supposed to be a demonstration, a spectacle of the manifold wisdom of God to the onlooking universe. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the verse that was so well read by our 
young lady this morning. Starting in verse 1, we see that there's a lot at stake here. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every way in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here we see a cloud of witnesses that is looking on this cloud of witnesses that you see as described in Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith who through faith conquered kingdoms, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, stopped the mouths of lions. We see the heroes of faith from Abel on down who was willing to die for his faith. Noah who was willing to build an ark when everybody thought that he was crazy. Abraham who was willing to leave the the comforts of his home and of his family to go out to a place he didn't know. These cloud of witnesses are looking on, metaphorically so to speak, and they are looking to see what the church today is going to do. Will we be that spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men? Will we make known the manifold wisdom of God to the onlooking universe as we are called to run a race that has been set before us? And when we look at this, it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How many of you have ever run a marathon? A few of you. You know what? I, ha I have. And I, I think when I was in Pathfinders back, back in the day, um, we went to the Kentucky-Tennessee Pathfinder outing at Mammoth Cave, and they had a one-mile run. I thought that was pretty good. And I ran the one-mile, um, it's not a marathon, just the one-mile race, you want to call it. <laughs> um, that's just getting warmed up if you're running a marathon. And um, I was proud that I actually did well enough as a 10-year-old to get a first place button. They, they have so many for first place, then second place, then third place. And I at least did well enough to do that well. But I'll tell you this, for any of you who have ever done any running, the last thing that you want if you're running a race that's a marathon, that's going to be lasting for a while, you don't want anything weighing you down. In other words, Water's a good thing to drink when you're running a marathon, but you're not going to carry a backpack with a bunch of water bottles, right? You're going to be, if you, if you watch marathons on TV, it's been a while, but the last time I looked, they have water bottles thrown to them and they drink while they keep running because they don't want anything to weigh them down. And so Paul, when he says, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, Paul knew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that if we're going to run this race of faith in the Christian experience, there are weights and sin in our life that will keep us from getting to the finish line. And Paul is simply saying, let us run this race, laying aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And that gets us to the title for our message this morning, which is Patience Before Men and Angels. You know, in God's church today, we have an opportunity to be a living demonstration of what it means to exercise or demonstrate patience when things aren't going well. 
Now, we all have been in various challenging, unexpected, trying circumstances that try our patience. Now, shouldn't it be that in the church of God, when we meet these trials of our faith, that rather than being like people who have no faith, that we will manifest trust in God. Now, this word patience comes from the Greek word hupomene, and the Strong's Concordance defines it as such. It's characteristic of an individual who has not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. Now, this is a marked contrast to how the book of Hebrews starts. By the time you get to Hebrews 12, you're nearing the end of the book. But when you look at Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3 is a reminder, it's a warning of what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness, who when their faith was tested, they murmured and complained. They didn't have patience. They didn't have a quality of patience that would not swerve from their deliberate purpose. And when they faced trials and suffering, things started coming out of their mouths like, God let us out here to die in the wilderness. They didn't keep their eyes on the prize and say, God led us through the Red Sea. He opened those waters. I saw it with mine own eyes. Now, I don't see the way clear right now. I don't have any water. I don't have any bread. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. But God has provided in the past, and he's going to provide now. Let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. The universe is watching to see if the manifold wisdom of God will be demonstrated through God's church. And this brings me to my story. You know, it's kind of ironic. When Pastor Santos called me to invite me to speak, I was sitting in the airport waiting for a delayed flight. So we had a seven o'clock flight out of Orlando and we were going to get into Nashville about 8.30 at night, and then I live down in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, and so it's another hour and a half drive once you land in Nashville. Now here's a quick aside, I should have listened to my wife. She said, we should just drive. Should have, should have listened to her. So here's what happened, we get to the airport, we see initially that the flight's delayed about an hour and a half, that's not horrible, I, many of you have traveled, and if you have a, a flight delay for an hour and a half. It's inconvenient, but it's, it's doable. That's not too bad. Well, within an hour or so of being at the airport, the flight was delayed from 7 in the evening till 2 in the morning. Now we're going to get into Nashville after 3 a.m., and I'm supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's not sounding so good anymore, and of course, this was when that wintry weather came through, and so now we're going to be looking at driving at 3 or 4 in the morning with ice coming down, and that's not sounding so good either. Then they delay the flight till 3 in the morning, then 3.20 in the morning, and finally at 1.45, and I should tell you that it's not just me, it's my wife and my 3-year-old daughter and my 5-month-old daughter sitting in the airport, and of course, there were other people there on our flight that had challenges as well. At 1.45, they cancel the flight. 
Now, I just so happened to be walking by the counter when I saw cancel come up on the screen. So I got first in line. And I was, I was like the second person to the counter. And the earliest flight they were going to have out would be Tuesday afternoon. So that would mean I'd lose two days of work. That's not good. You don't want to lose two days of work. So at that point, the fastest thing to do is to rent a car. Should have listened to my wife. Would have taken care of that problem. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, we go down to the car rental. And my wife, through her smartphone, her iPhone, had reserved a rental car. I was like, thank you. That's really good. That's very helpful. And up until now, I'm like, you know, doing pretty well. I'm liking everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, quoting the promises. And even though I'm going to lose a day of work, you know, it's okay. And, you know, other people are coming up to the counter and they're saying things to the ticket agents like, oh, Southwest Airlines did this on purpose. They waited till 1.45 so they wouldn't have to give anyone hotels. And you guys are doing, and people were, you know, showing their nasty side, their impatient side. Patience was not being demonstrated. And so we go down and we get in line for a certain car rental agency and they weren't being very efficient. And so at 2.33 in the morning, we stand in line for an hour waiting for a car. When we got to the ticket counter there, to the counter there, come to find out my wife made a mistake. She had reserved a car for one week later. And they were out of cars, which meant we were going to now have to go to another rental car. And I'll say at that point, my faith was really tested. Because your natural inclination now is to say, what were you doing? How could you mess it up by a week? That's what you would want to say, right? I mean, you're already upset because your flight's been delayed, and now you've stood in line in the middle of the night to get a car, and the car rental place is out of cars, and with your mistake, you didn't realize that they were out of cars. And at that point, the question is, Any, any one of us who would be in that situation, are we going to be like the children of Israel? Or are we going to be a living demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God? And by his grace, fortunately my wife, she, she's pretty good at these things, even though she made this mistake, she immediately found another car rental place where there was no line and we got a car within 10 minutes after that. So it, it ended up working out okay. And the other, the other amazing thing is that we got a refund from the airline company and what we paid for the car rental was far less than the refund we got, so it all worked out. But, you know, in the moment when that's happening and your patience is being tested, your real character comes out. And I'm not saying that I'm the, the um, example of how to be during a crisis. I mean, I've made my share of mistakes. But the question is, do we hang on to Jesus in those moments of crisis? Do we look to Jesus... And do we exercise faith and trust in him so that no matter what the trial is, we can simply trust in him and exercise patience. Patience that demonstrates that even though things are in a frenzy around us and people of the world who don't have a faith or a trust or a belief in God are falling apart, we can trust in God and say that he will get us through this trial. 
We have this race of faith that has been set before us to run. It's a race that requires patience, a race of faith that God has called upon us to run. And again, this, this patience is characteristic of an individual who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. You know, it's very easy to be a good Christian when everything's going well. And when things are going great and the money's coming in and the job's going well and everybody likes you, it's very easy to give praise to God. It's very easy to say, I am living the life of faith. I am running the race. God is good and I am so thankful. But what are you like when you go through the greatest trials and suffering? Because when God calls us to run this race of faith that requires patience, this is indicative that God's people will face great trials and suffering. And God is saying that through my grace and through my power, you can exercise patience. And in case you don't believe me, God is saying, look at the heroes of faith. Look at Abel, look at Noah, look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all the way down the line. Moses, Joseph all the way through, the heroes of faith, no matter what the trial was, these people, they may have made mistakes, but they reached a point in their life where they had faith in God, and no matter what the trial, no matter what the suffering, they were faithful to Him. And God is looking for a church today that simply will not be faithful when times are good, but that will be faithful when times are hard. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, probably, well, let me read the statement here. Great Controversy, page 621. Um, Speaking of the time of trouble that's coming ahead of us, the season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, a faith that will not faint, though severely tried. And, you know, weariness, delay, and hunger, I think I had all three of those last week. (laughs) And, you know, listen, It's one thing to have patience when you've had eight hours of sleep, right? It's another thing to have patience at two or three in the morning when you're sleep deprived. And again, the question is, are you going to trust the promises of God and demonstrate the love and the grace and the character of God in that moment, or are you going to be like everybody else? By the grace of God, he can help us that when we are going through weariness, delay, and hunger, He will help us to endure such a trial. And you know, when I was thinking about preparing this message, um, in my own life, a personal example of of patience, endurance, and of going through suffering in a way that still demonstrated that he trusted in God was the story of my own father, who passed away 10 years ago. Um, in 2000, well, it's going on 11 years ago now, in 2003, and he had struggled with multiple sclerosis for over 20 years. And in the last five, six years of his life, he really went downhill. In the last three years of his life, he was in the nursing home. He still had his mental faculties, and he knew exactly what was going on. And throughout that time in his life, and this was a man who was very accomplished, he was a board-certified emergency room physician and had done very well. Um, 
he never complained about God. He never complained about his situation. He continued to believe in the God that had led him throughout his life, who had brought him um, out of unique circumstances of another faith when he was a young man into the Adventist faith, and he remained loyal to God and trusting in God no matter what. And I can tell you that that certainly had a significant impact on my life, to have a father who demonstrated patience even through great trial and suffering. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now the question is, how can we have this patience? Because humanly speaking, this is impossible. Our natural tendency, if we are in such a scenario, is to be like the children of Israel. Even when we've seen the miracles of God in our lives, when things get really tough, if we're not connected to God, we're going to start complaining like the children of Israel as well. And God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I can help you through these trials. And so Hebrews 12 tells us exactly how we can run this race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Amen. despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When it says Jesus endured the cross, that's essentially the same word in the Greek as patience. Patience and endure, that's the same word. And it's got maybe just a slightly different meaning, and it simply means to bear bravely and calmly ill treatments. So we've talked about going through weariness, delay, and hunger. Jesus endured the cross, and he bravely dealt with the ill treatment that he faced on the cross. Now, it's one thing, again, it's like, oh, wow, at 2 in the morning, I was in the Orlando airport, and I stayed faithful to Jesus, and I didn't lose my temper. Well, praise the Lord for that. Now, let's take it to another level. Now, you're doing everything right by the grace of God. You're following Jesus. You're spending time in devotions every morning, meaningful, quality time. You're leading your family in morning worship. I hope each of you do that if you have families. And you're leading your children to the foot of the cross every day, teaching them about the love of Jesus. You're doing the best you can at work or whatever you're doing, and you get mistreated. You get falsely accused. You get slandered. You get things said about you that are simply unfair, untrue. Things happen to you. Maybe you lose a job because people are saying things that are not right about you. And the question is, are you going to look to Jesus who endured the cross and he bore ill treatments that were unfair and demonstrate patience and endurance in that scenario of your life? Again, the universe is watching. We are a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be seen. And so as we have this race of faith that has been set before us, we look to Jesus on the cross. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That is where our faith experience begins. That's why Jesus says, if any man will deny himself and follow me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. It begins at the cross every day. That is the starting point for our faith experience. And if we're going to run this race of faith that requires patience, the only way is to see Jesus on the cross. Amen. You know, Ellen White said we would do well to spend a thoughtful hour each day contemplating the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes 
take each point, point by point and meditate upon it, when we see what Jesus has gone through for us, we can endure the trials that we face. And again, when we're called to run with patience, this is indicative that we will have trials, that we will have suffering. And a trial is not a trial if it's not hard to go through. I mean, if it's like, oh yeah, I had a trial, that was easy. That's not a trial. <laughs> a trial, it, it, it tests you. And it's not easy. And sometimes you don't un understand why God is allowing you to go through it, but even though you don't understand, you still believe. Yes. You know, Jesus ran the same race that he's calling us to run. It says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. By very definition, Jesus, who is the author of our faith in this race, not only helps us to begin it, he's going to help us finish it. Because he ran the same race. You realize in the same book, in Hebrews 6.20, it says that Jesus is the forerunner. The forerunner goes before us. Jesus has run the same race. And in fact, when you go to Hebrews chapter 6, it's very interesting. In verse 12, speaking to the Hebrew Christians, the apostle Paul says, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Paul is saying to the Christian church, and if he were alive today, he would say it to the church today. He says, he says that you be not slothful. Now is not the time for Christians to be lazy. God is not looking for lazy Christians, people who will just try to float along, live the good life, and try to have all of the world and all of Christ at the same time. You can't do that. You can't be lazy in your Christian experience. God has told us that we are to run a race that requires patience, that will cause us to go through trials and suffering. And many people don't want the trials and suffering. They simply want the good, easy life. That's not Christianity that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, who's Paul talking about here? When you go to the very next verse, it says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing I will bless thee, and so on. And when you get to verse 15, it says, and so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Who patiently endured? Abraham did. Abraham is an example of faith, someone who patiently endured. And I'm not going to take you to Genesis 22, which tells us the story, but this whole thing of surely blessing I will bless thee and so forth comes from Genesis 22. And this is the story of God asking Abraham to offer up Isaac. Isaac is the seed of promise, a child who was born from a miracle. And now God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice. And for three days, Abraham walks from his home to Mount Moriah, and he's wondering the whole time, God, what are you doing? But he patiently endured. He continued to trust in the promises of God. When you go to Hebrews 11, it says that he accounted that God was able to raise Isaac up again from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And the amazing thing is, there had never been a resurrection before. 
Abraham was believing in something that God had never done before. But look, he received Isaac from a human impossibility. He and Sarah were past childbearing age. He remembers God as the creator. And if God could bring Isaac from a human impossibility, now he's asking me to offer him as a sacrifice. God is the creator. He'll simply raise him back up from the dead. We need people of that caliber of faith in the church today. Abraham is the father of faith. And when he was tested, when he was tried, he reached the point where he said, you know what, this doesn't even make sense to me. But because God has promised that Isaac will be the seed, I still believe that Isaac will be the seed. And there may be points in our lives where we, th- where we come to where we say, you know, God had promised this or that. When I look at Scripture, God's promises have said such. And right now, I'm not seeing it. But by faith, we can patiently endure. So that what God has promised will take place. And not only do we... F- in Hebrews 6.12, it says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So not only do we follow Abraham, the father of faith, by verse 20, we see that we follow Jesus, the forerunner. And in Hebrews, you see all throughout, Hebrews is talking about Jesus. Hebrews 1, Jesus is God. Hebrews 2, Jesus is man. Hebrews 3, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. Hebrews 5, we see that, well, Hebrews 4, that he was tempted in all points like his weir, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace to get help from him. Hebrews 5, we see, starting in verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became what? The author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Here's how Jesus becomes the author of our faith. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not saying that it's easy, but if you look to me, I went through trial, I went through suffering, I learned obedience through that suffering, and by my grace and through my power, when you look to me and you become my child and I'm the author of your salvation, you can overcome as well. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. And that leads us, as I wind down here in the last few minutes, Galatians 2.20, which ties in all of this together. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He endured the cross, the unfair, ill treatment that he received so that you could receive salvation. And when we see what Jesus has done for us, when we see that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity and came down to this earth and was willing to die on the cross so that you could be saved in the kingdom. That should provoke a response of love in our hearts for him. So that we say, you know what, I'm willing to surrender my life to such a savior. And not only do I want him to be the savior of my life, I want someone like that to be the Lord of my life. And so Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's the faith of Jesus. That's the third angel's message. 
when you're crucified, that requires patience to surrender your life fully and completely and to put aside what your natural inclinations would be and say, Lord, I lay it all on the altar and you can be in charge. There's going to be times when your humanity is going to be crying out and saying, you should do it this way. But by patience, we look at Jesus on the cross and we say, I surrender all. Not I, but Christ. Christ living out his life through me. And you know, there's a promise connected with having patience in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 and 37, which says, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Now notice, the promise of exercising patience is that when you exercise patience, at some point, at the end of the race, if you will, Jesus is coming back. We have need of patience that after we have done the will of God, we might receive the promise. The universe is watching. We are made a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. God didn't raise us up as a people, as a church, so that we would simply be like everybody else. God raised us up so that we would be a living demonstration of what Jesus is like. When Jesus is on the cross, we see his love and we see his power and we say, Lord, give me that. And when we let Jesus come into our lives, we can truly be a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men where people will say, I want what you have. You know, when I saw you in that trial of, of your faith, you weren't like pounding your fist and swearing up a storm and questioning if God exists anymore like everybody else around me. You actually had a peace that passed understanding. I need that in my life. Tell me about the Jesus that you know. Tell me about the experience that you have. That's what the church is here for, so that the manifold wisdom of God will be made known through us. And that's, a day is coming, sometime very soon, I believe, when Revelation chapter 14, 12 will be fulfilled. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Patience is a clear identifiable feature of God's last day people. People who have patience, who though they go through great trial and great suffering, they say, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to keep my eye on him. And no matter what happens, I am going to let Jesus be in charge of my life. I am thankful that even though sometimes things aren't always easy, that Jesus leads the way that he's gone before us, that he's the forerunner, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, and by his grace and through his faith, we can reach that finish line as well. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.